about sin. Let's just talk about sin and let's take a position that's talking about it in a way that's not a, 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 you're doing this and you're doing that, but let's take a different approach when it comes to the topic of sin because the Bible has so much to say about the topic of sin when it comes to your and my life. And the biggest thing that it talks about when it comes to sin is that you and I have been called as followers of Jesus to make war on sin in our lives. We have not been purposed Jesus did not give his life so that you and I can simply sit passively by and allow sin to happen. But I believe that God is moving us, God is calling us, God is positioning us as a church, as his people, to begin to make some crazy, nuts, violent war on sin. And so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, the topic of making war. And I want to ask you a question. Do you guys, did you set any goals at the beginning of the year? Did you set any goals? Did you make any resolutions? Like how many people are six days into their eating well failure mode? Anybody there yet? Or you ate really well on the first, but then the second came and all that leftovers looked really good. So you're six days into your eating well failure. How many of it are in that spot? Or how many of you, anybody make health goals, any health resolutions? Justin, thank you. Ian, yes. Nobody else? All right. Anybody make any financial goals this year? Justin, yes. Teresa, yes. Ian, yes. Everyone else, get on board. Hang out with these people because they're motivated people. How many of you guys made relational goals? Anybody make any relational goals? How you're going to do relationships this year? Husbands, wives, how you're going to be a different, better... Husband and wife, you were last year. Singles, how you're going to be the best single person you can for the glory of God. Relational when it comes to that, I want to be a better neighbor. I made that goal for me this year. I want to be a better neighbor. I want to love my neighbor like Jesus said to love my neighbor. I want to be a better neighbor. I want to be a better dad. I was thinking about all these goals. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to your relationship with God, Have you made goals? Have you made plans? See, because oftentimes, and this is just me, I'm just talking about me right now, is when we get to the new year, man, I really want to eat better. I want to be in a better relationship. I want to be a better neighbor. I want to have financial goals. I want to get out of debt. I want to pay off our stupid Tahoe. I want to pay off uh, our our church stuff. I want to pay off all the stuff in our trailer. I want to pay our parent church back. There's a lot of goals. I want to get out of debt. I want to pay some of Jen's uh, private loans off because... I, I knew women were expensive. I just didn't know how when I married my wife. She came with a pretty hefty master's degree price tag. I mean, we've got some financial goals. And oftentimes, I can get so in the mindset of all the things that I want to do, and then it's like February or March, and I realize that I make no goals when it came to my relationship with God. And the difficult thing when we don't make goals when it comes to our relationship with God is, is when, we make, when we make goals for our health, for our finances, for our relationships, what we are doing is we are in the practice of saying no to things before they happen. So if I'm going to eat well at, at, uh, on December uh, 31st at 11.59, I am saying no for an entire year to cookies. I love cookies. I love Oreos. I love the Trader Joe's version of Oreos. I love chocolate chip cookies. I have zero self-discipline when it comes to Oreos. But what we do is we begin to say no in advance. 
But yet when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to the sin that the Bible says so easily can entangle us, man, we get so caught off guard. And the reality is I think God would be saying, it's like, why don't you say no to sin like you say no to calories? Why don't you say no to sin like you say no to overspending? Why don't you say no at 11.59 on December 31st like you did with everything else when it comes to sin? And then take an advanced position when it comes to making war on the sin that goes on in our lives. See, too often we get caught off guard when think, with, to things, and, and the reality is, it, it, is God saying, no, it's, it's, it's time to be done being caught off guard. It's time to take an advanced position. And so as I was kind of praying about this series, the, the, the Lord brought me to a, a specific section of Scripture. And I want to I read that really fast and then kind of just give some context and then dive into a few points. But it's in 1 Samuel, if you have, if you have a Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 1 through 3. And if you're turning there, you're like, that sounds... Familiar, and if you're thinking to yourself, man, that sounds like right around the area of David and Goliath, you would be right because this is the story. This is the beginning of the story of David and Goliath. And as I was coming off this passage, I really honestly said to the Lord, I've heard this story, I've preached on this story, I got this. And then the Holy Spirit said, Oh, do we? Because that's how we and he and I talk. I don't know how he talks to you, but. But I was like, I got this, God. I can preach the daylights out of this message. And he's like, okay, oh, yeah. Because what, I, what, what, what God really showed me in this is he reveals some incredible truths and incredible realities about you and me and the things that God has called us to do when it comes to dealing with our sin, when it comes to making more on our sin. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 1, says this. It says, the Philistines... Now mustered, that's a good word, mustered. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soka and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damon. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. And I love verse 3. Verse 3 is something, if you're an underliner, if you're a highlighter, I want you to underline the highlighter, whatever. Write it on your arm, tattoo it on your forehead, do whatever you got to do. It says, so the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley between them. So when we think about this, when, when we're setting this picture, what we have is we have a hill on one side and a hill on the other side with two armies making camp to make war. And what the Bible says is there's one hill for the Israelites, one hill for the Philistine, Philistines, and then verse 3 is so powerful where it says, but then there was a valley in between them. So you've got Israelites, Philistines, and a valley. Let me ask you a question. Who occupied the valley? Who? Goats. Danelle says goats. She's a smart aleck. Goats. Yes, maybe goats. You're not starting 2018 well with me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sarcasm in church. Who ever heard of such a thing? Um, me. But anyway. Um, who occupied the valley? Why did nobody occupy the valley? What happened in the valley? What? Yeah. War happened in the valley. 
You've got armies positioning themselves on both sides. And I can almost see it because I love the Bible says that they faced each other. You've got the Israelites and the Philistines facing each other. And what happens when you get a bunch of dudes in some sort of competitive notion facing off against each other? We start flipping off. And so what's happening is, I mean, you see guys do it all the time if you're an expert. Ian probably experienced it. He's my, my favorite video gamist, if that's even a word. Ian, do you jaw with other people through the headset on the video games? All the time. And so when you, it happens in basketball, it happens in baseball, it happens in politics, it happens in at church conferences, it happens all the time when you get a group of dudes together and they face off against one another. We just jaw off. We just mouth off. We just snap. We just start insulting relatives and we and not even being concerned if those relatives are still alive. And we just start mouthing off towards relatives and we just start <laughs> jabbing and jawing and we just kind of go after it. I can see these two armies, one on the hill, one on the other hill, jawing and snapping back and forth with each other. But then there's this valley. And war happened in the valley. To take it a little step further, when it comes to actually who occupied these hills, the Israelites, throughout the story of God, throughout the story of the Bible, the Israelites are God's chosen people. So the Israelites who occupied one hill, you could honestly say that these were God's people on one hill. And if you weren't God's people and you were Philistine on this other hill, then that must mean that you are an enemy of God. And so we've got two hills, one with the people of God and one with the enemies of God. And we've got this valley where war happens in the middle. So the reality is, the truth is, those two hills still apply today. See, if we're in Christ, if we've been saved, if God, if we, if we have confessed our sins and made Christ the Lord of our lives, then we occupy the hill of the people of God. But if not, if we haven't confessed our sins, if we haven't confessed that Jesus is Lord, if we haven't submitted our lives, our past, our present, our future, our expectations, our reality, if we haven't given him those things, then what we actually do is we occupy the hill of the enemies of God. But no matter where you're at, there's still this valley. And the difficulty is how often do you and I try and make our home in the valley? How often do we try and make our home in the place where war happens? How many of us make our home because we're, we, we, we don't want to be sold out to Jesus because, so that we turn out weird? And often we really kind of like a lot of the things that we say that we left. But here's the deal. Saturday's different than Sunday. It's a totally different day. There's totally different expectations. There's a totally different rule. So Saturday me can become Sunday me, and I'm just going to kind of occupy the valley, and whatever day it is, I'm just going to hop that line. How many of us make home in the valley? How many of us build our home where war happens? We try and make camp in the valley. And so this year, as I've been praying for myself, as I've been praying for you, so I'm praying for this church. My prayer for us is that this would be a year where you and I, we would begin to make war on the sins in our lives rather than sit passively by in the valley. And so in order to make war on our sin, what we need this year, what we need today is God's help in three different areas. Now, it's obviously more than three, but for the sake of time in this message, it's just three. And so we knocked our list off from ten bajillion to just three, so you should feel wonderful about yourself. 
<laughs> All right, no one's gonna laugh. I'm gonna laugh. All right. I did it once before. I'll, t I'll laugh at my own jokes all day long. My dad often says, at least you think you're funny. And I say, I'm the funniest guy that ever done been, Dad. Yeah. So, thanks, Mom. <laughs> I, don't, I can't even tell you how many times in my, like, 10 years of ministry where I've had to say that into a mic, or not even had to, but just reactively say, thanks, Mom, into a microphone. Because, okay, so... Long story short, my, my, my 96 Toyota Avalon broke down, and there is no feeling quite like being the lead pastor of a church and your mom picking you up for church. <laughs> that was my reality this morning, people. I'm like the lead pastor of a church, and I'm putting things together, and I'm praying, and all of a sudden I get the text from mom, I'm here, oh, and I get like my shoes and my jacket, because I'm not ready. Who's ever ready for their mom? Not me. Anyway, uh, sorry. But what we need God to do, we need God to do three things if we are going to begin to make war on the sin in our lives, is we need, number one, if you're taking notes, we need God to give us the ability to see your sin. We need God to give us the ability to see our sin. Point number one, super fun, right? Happy 2018. We need God's help to see our sin, but we need God's power when it comes to helping us see our sin. We need to spend less time reveling in the awareness of other people's sin and see the magnitude and severity of the sin that exists in our lives. See, when God gives us the eyes to see our sin, it gives our lives a different approach. It gives us a different, I don't know, just an appreciation or just awareness of the things that you and I are doing. And, and, and so often, if, if you're anything like me, and again, I know that I am, I am very good and very quick and very accurate when it comes to pointing out other people's sins. I love seeing your sin. I hate seeing mine. So I'm going to spend my, more of my time seeing yours than being aware of mine because I'm, I'm just, I'm, just a, I'm a Christian and I'm just trying to help you out, right? I wouldn't be helping you if I did an onslaught with you with all the horrible things while secretly ignoring all the things that I'm doing. And the amazing thing is I read through scripture about sin. The amazing thing about sin is it's not a political thing. It's not a racial thing, it's not a young generation versus an old generation thing, but the Bible says that sin is a human thing. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 23, the Bible says this, it says, For everyone has sinned, everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So we have to understand that, that sin is a humanity thing, and if you are a human, you deal with this sin thing. And, 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 and again, the difficulty that I often find myself falling into is that I can't compare or simplify my sin based on someone else's standard. Because the Bible says that if I'm going to compare my sin to anything, I have to compare it with God's perfect standard. And when I compare my brokenness to God's perfection, my brokenness becomes very, very evident. My brokenness becomes very, very apparent. It's like like highlighted and underlined and projected onto a screen. And, and, and oftentimes what I want to do is I want to just kind of simplify my brokenness by proclaiming someone else's. But because sin's a human thing. And so because it's a human thing, you and I, we can't hold the megaphone to someone else's sin. What we actually have to do is we have to hold the mirror up to ourselves and our sin, because again, Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned. But I love what Romans 6.23 says, it says, for the wages of sin 
is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you have a job, you earn wages. And you get paid for the work that you do every two weeks, every month, however your specific place of employment has set that up. And so you earn for the work that you do. The same, it's, it's amazing that the same goes with our sin. That the wages we earn for our sin is death. And our separation from God has purchased us death and eternity separate from God. And the thing that it is, is, is sin can't be discussed away. It can't be intentioned away. It can't be educated away. It can't be good deeded away. It can't be church attended away. It can't be gifted away. And in Christ, what Jesus does is Jesus makes war on and, made, and he makes war on the sin that exists for humanity, and he conquers it, and he conquers death. And for those of us who are in Christ, the power of sin is broken in our lives, and we have the ability to live free from the power of sin. But the difficult thing that happens is, yes, the power of sin is broken in our lives, but we live in a world where the influence of sin is everywhere. And so, yes, in Christ, the power of sin is broken. And yes, we need God to give us eyes to see our sin. But, man, we are in a world that is under the influence constantly of sin. It is, it is everywhere. And as I was just simply just thinking about music and movies and media and all these things, racism and genocide and, and all the things that go on in our brokenness and, and all the things that go on in our broken and messed up world, I began to get very, very overwhelmed. I began to get very, very discouraged. I began to get very, very discontent with the way that the world is. And I began to, to, to do the very thing that I'm telling you not to do. I began to say, well, if they would be different then, well, if they would change, then, then, if they fix their issue, then everything would be fine. And, and, I, and I wasn't putting the meter up to myself. And I have this thought for all of us is that we will never fully understand and appreciate the good news about Jesus until we fully understand and accept the bad news of our sin. We will never fully understand and appreciate the good news about Jesus until we fully understand and accept the bad news of our sin. Have you ever had a situation in life that you knew you had to deal with but you didn't want to? Ever, ever have a situation like that? Could be a situation at work. Could be a situation with your family. It could be a situation where Christmas was very tense because no one wanted to deal with this issue. And so you just kind of existed. And no one moved very fast. Because if you moved fast, then the dam of awkwardness would break. Have you ever had a situation like that? Where you knew that you had to deal with it, but you didn't want to. Because dealing with it is awkward. Dealing with it is uncomfortable. Dealing with it will wreck Christmas for a day, but maybe save a relationship a year from now. Sin is the same way. Sin is that awkward situation in your life. That oftentimes we try and not move too fast because if we move too fast in the house of cards that we've built around our brokenness and around our sin, the house of cards that we build when we come to church, if we move too fast, then the thing will fall and everyone will realize that I'm just 
messed up and jacked up. Here's the deal. We're all messed up and jacked up. That's why this place exists. That's why we exist. We exist as a place for messed up and jacked up people to belong and hear about the hope and goodness and mercy and grace of Jesus. And so if you feel jacked up in this place, guess what? The dude with the microphone is equally as jacked up as you. And so this is a, we should just call it jacked up church. Because that's what we're about. That's who we're for. And we have to deal with the sins and the situations in our life. And yes, it's awkward. Yes, it's painful. And yes, it's not really that entertaining and fun. But here's the deal. Until we make war on it, it will always remain a power over our lives. And so we need God's help to help us. Point one is to see our sin. And then once we see our sin, we need God's help. And point number two, to begin to hate our sin. We need to see our sin, and then once we see our sin, we need to begin to hate our sin. Because when we see sin, when we really see sin for what it is, what it causes, what it costs, who it hurts, what it takes, and what its intent is, the reality is when you see it for what it is, you will not tolerate it, you will not accommodate it, you will not compartmentalize or make peace with it, but you will begin to hate it for everything it is and everything it stands for. But I know in my life what happens too often is, again, I see the brokenness and the busted of things going on in the world, and I begin to feel angry, and I begin to project that anger on other people, on political parties, on other nations, on other religions, on other people groups. As long as they don't think and look like Steve, they are to blame, because how on earth would I be to blame? And I begin to project. And I begin to make war with the wrong things and the wrong people. I begin to attach a hatred towards people and things that Jesus died so that I could have the ability to love. And again, I, I myself so quickly having to turn the mirror back towards myself. And I have to use that same hatred and that same discontent towards my sin first. And not only maybe my sin first, my sin only. Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse starting in verse 3, it says, And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you and get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? And then Jesus uses a very powerful word. He says, hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eyes. And the way that you and I have been called to change the world, because we have not simply been saved and purposed to simply exist until Jesus comes back. But when Jesus becomes the center of our lives, when he becomes our purpose and our passion, our purpose and passion become his purpose and passion. We have been purposed, and we should be passionate about seeing a world change. But the way we do don't change the world is by hating other people. The way that we don't change the world is making war on the brokenness of other people. The way that you and I are called to change the world is we are called to make our hatred towards brokenness holy and righteous through sanctification in Christ and direct it back towards our sin. And so some of you are so, so good and pointing out the brokenness in other people. I know I'm really good at it. 
But what if, just what if, what if we spent that energy and directed it towards us? Don't ask me to do that. Because that's going to be uncomfortable for me personally. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you aren't killing sin, sin is killing you. If you are not in the process of making war on your sin, you best be believing that your sin will be making war on you. And, there, and I think about, I, I was talking to my dad as my car was, and I was like mentally processing. He didn't say a thing, but I felt a lot better after talking to him. And I remember just kind of having these moments where I was kind of just spouting out my feelings. And I began to think like, God, okay, so here's the deal. We, we basically put everything on the line to start this. And I began to list all these reasons about how the world should feel bad for me and sad for me and blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 and all these different things. But then I began to think, well, but if, if, if God wouldn't save his son from the pain and the embarrassment and the cruelty of the cross, why would he save me from allowing my car to break down? So maybe maybe God has a plan and purpose, but maybe he's trying to teach me patience and this, that, or whatever. And I begin to think about the, the, just the existence that I exist in, and, and, and difficultly to admit, I'm honestly like kind of a wuss when it comes to being a Christian. Because I want my Christianity to be peaceful. I want my Christianity to be comfortable. I want my Christianity to work out my schedule. I want my Christianity to agree with the things that I agree with and disagree with the things that I disagree with. I want my Christianity to be okay with my brokenness. And Christianity in it. With what Jesus gave his life for, he's not okay with the things that I'm okay with. And I think about, man, there is no peacetime when it comes to the Christian life. And the Christian life is like dodgeball. Okay? You take a ball, you throw it at the fattest kid in the room. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Christianity is a lot like dodgeball. What it is, is it's offense and defense at the same time. It's offense and defense at the same time. It's being aware of the opportunities that God places when he places them. And then also being aware of the fact that, man, we are surrounded. We're like, we're like paratroopers in World War II, one of my favorite lines of, of, of Major Dick Winters, who is the Band of Brothers and just a phenomenal war hero, uh, uh, just a phenomenal war hero. Um, one of the things that he said is, as they were walking into Bastogne, is one of the guys said, man, they're really, the Germans are really giving it to you, you're, you're about to be surrounded. And the thing that he said I love so much, he goes, hey, we're paratroopers, son, we're meant to be surrounded. And we have to be aware of the fact that as we advance, we are also surrounded. And so there's no peace time when it comes to the Christian life. If we are surrendered and followers of Jesus, there is no peace time. It is offense and defense. We are making war on sin, actively, not passively, making war on our personal sin, taking a violent and aggressive approach towards the sin that so easily entangles our lives because the sin that so easily entangles our lives is taking a violent and aggressive approach towards us. And so with God's help and with God's power, he's going to give us the ability to see our sin. And then through his power, he's going to give us the ability to hate our sin. And then the third step is that we need God to give us the power to kill our sin. 
to kill it. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, says this. It says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do. If you're ever wondering, what should I have nothing to do with? Here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Because of these sins, these sins the anger of God is coming. And then Paul, who's writing to a group of Christians, he's, saying, he's reminding them, he says, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of, and if you're ever wondering, man, what should I get rid of? Here's the list. Anger, rage, malice behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Here is the truth. The moment you die, the moment your sin dies, Christ's glory lives. When the things that we try and make peace with and compartmentalize and discuss away, and compare away, man, the moment we allow those things in our lives to die, nothing simply stays dead, but God brings to life a new creation, gives us a new identity so that we can learn to know our creator and become like him. Jesus gives us a new identity. Our old identity is put to death and killed and buried six feet under. But And so what we have to do is we have to put to death our sin. Not simply put it to sleep. But we have to put it to death. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12, says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. What Paul is saying is this sin issue, this is a life or death issue. I know this is probably not the first Sunday of January type message, but what I want to present to you and what I want to compel you with is that your sin, our sin, is a life or death issue. How would you deal with a life or death issue? Man, okay, so if some, okay, so just, I'm, I'm, I was just thinking about me. If someone steps, if someone like approaches my family, approaches my wife, approaches one of my girls, and approaches it in a way that there is danger, that there is harm, that there could be the possibility of death, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not trying to negotiate with it. I'm not trying to reason with it. I'm not trying to compartmentalize. Well, but here's the, okay, so like, but we're at the mall, and that's like fun family compartmentalizing time. Like, what I want is when my kids get older, and when I've lied to them about what following Jesus is like, and then send them on an eight-day missions trip and show them that actually the world is very dangerous and, and shatter their expectations of what I, I've told them. But I want the danger to, if, if you can come back at 18, Because this is the compartmentalization of fun and family time, and, and danger just doesn't fit into to this, but, but maybe later down. No, I'm not doing anything like that. I am getting to the danger faster than the danger be getting to my family. And I will not be nice to the danger. 
I will not be accommodating. I will not be kind. Nay, I might not even be Christian. Because I will rid the danger from my family's existence. I will have a passion. I will have a, 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 a un, uncharacteristic rage. I will have the type of rage that when the bag of Doritos gets caught in the vending machine and you paid $1.25 for that, you'd be getting your $1.25. And so we become abnormally hawkish and we shake the machine and we kick the machine and we cuss at the machine and we, and we curse the creator of that machine. What if we took the same approach when it came to our sin? What if we took the same position? What if we dealt with it in the same type of aggression? What if we dealt with it with the same type of fixated anger? What if we made war? What if we forgot peacetime and compartmentalizing? And what if we made war? What would our lives look like? Now, what would this church look like? What the city would like? What whatever? What would your life look like if you determined that this was the year where, instead of tolerating or compartmentalizing or accommodating or discussing away your sin, you made crazy, nuts, violent, bloody war on your sin? What would your life look like? I feel like there would be a lot of freedom. I feel like there would be a lot of hope. I feel like there would be a renewed desperation for the grace and mercy and hope that Jesus offers us than simply convenience Christianity. I feel like I feel like we would look like the church that Jesus died for us to look like. I feel like we'd have dirt under our fingernails and holes in our jeans. I feel like we would smell and look really, really bad. But the people who look and smell the worst are usually the people who are advancing. Because through hell is victory. And Christ gives us the victory, but he calls us to live lives that make war. What I want to do uh, as we close today is, uh, is I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Not, not in a way that's like a raise hand, pray a prayer uh, type of way. What we're going to do for five minutes so we're going to put a question up on the on the, the screen. Not quite yet because the, the timer starts right away. <laughs> so, uh, And what I want to invite you to do is you can discuss it with the people around you. Or you can choose to just kind of sit. And my prayer is if you sit, you would invite the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you and reveal things to you and to have a dialogue with you. So it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. Do you remember those books where like, you get to like a page and there's two buttons? Like, if you want to face the dragon in the cave, go to page 32. Or if you want to take the river across the... If you want to take the boat across the river, go to page 87. This is basically that. If you want to discuss, feel free to discuss. We're going to have music on. No one's going to hear you. You can talk to the person sitting next to you. Or if you want to have more of an introspective moment and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you, you can do that too. So I'm going to pray. We're going to put this up. And then Jen's going to come up and give you, uh, dis dismiss you and give you some, some, some upcoming events. But Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you, uh, I thank you, God, that you are the victor. 
And God, I thank you so much that you give us the victory. But even though you guarantee us the victory, you, you call us to fight. So God, would you just move us from a place of passively accepting the brokenness of our sin? And God, would you put just a, an anger and a, and a holy hatred in us towards, towards the sin in our lives that we would, we would begin to make war? On, on the things, God, that, that the scriptures say so easily entangles us, that we would begin to make war on this life or death situation that is sin. So, God, would you speak to us in these next few moments, God, as we discuss, as we reflect. Lord, thanks for who you are. You love us so well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Questions going to be up on the screen. We'll play some music if you choose to discuss, and then we will see you in five minutes. Where's the music? Oh, don't look.